I acknowledged that this podcast is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations, where I am lucky to work, live and play. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Everything Economics. I'm your host, Talia Murdoch, and we'll be finalising the healthcare series in this episode by discussing the recent injunction to offering private healthcare in British Columbia and what this means for patients and the system at large. Again, I do recommend you go back and listen to the first three episodes of this series to get a more in-depth understanding of the differences between public and private health systems and how resources move between the two, as this is very relevant to this conversation. Now, I remember when I first started working in Canada in a healthcare-adjacent office, hearing things like, Canada doesn't want a two-tiered system, and this doctor does it anyway. Coming from a country originally that has both private and public healthcare, I found this pretty interesting, and at first, didn't really see the big deal. But as is clear now, my feelings about private healthcare have changed significantly over the years, as I have been able to look at it through another lens. A couple of years after coming here and hearing various comments in my old workplace and on the radio, the issue became more visible to the general public as a 10-year court case came to an end, which I want to talk about now. This in part played a very significant role in wanting to create this series, as healthcare for all has been challenged in Canada. So firstly, in Canada, healthcare is run by each province, and this court case took place in British Columbia, but has implications for the country at large. Basically, before and during the court case, doctors were not able to offer private care services to patients and accept payment for them if the patient is enrolled in the Provincial Medical Services Plan and those services are covered by MSP and if the doctor is also enrolled in MSP to provide care under the plan. Now, MSP is Medicare. They do have the option to unenroll from MSP altogether and provide private care, but cannot do both. The idea being that the government does not want people to be able to skip ahead on waiting lists purely because they can pay for it, as not everyone can pay, and this makes the delivery of care inequitable across the entire population. The Canadian Doctors for Medicare sum this up quite well in their closing statement, saying, It is not unlawful to operate a private, for-profit, investor-owned facility in British Columbia. What is unlawful is to charge patients insured by BC's Medical Services Plan for medically necessary hospital and physician care when those services are already covered by MSP and when that care is provided by physicians enrolled in MSP. Now, historically, under the Liberal government, this wasn't really enforced. While the issue was in court, doctors weren't actively being fined or having MSP payments stopped that I'm aware of anyway. Once the new Democratic Party came into power in BC, this issue became a focus and the health minister intended to begin blocking MSP payments to doctors who were charging patients for publicly available care. The reason behind this, and why it is supported by Canadian Doctors for Medicare, goes back to part one of this series and is about resource diversion. For example, the BC Health Minister, Adrian Dix, specifically wanted the federal government to withhold $16 million in payments to these doctors as a consequence for extra billing and instead distribute this across the public health system 
which could allow for another 55,000 MRIs in the public facility. In addition, wait times in BC are already quite long, starting at 6 months and up to even 18 months for some specialists, and by allowing private practice, opponents fear that the private clinics will cherry-pick uncomplicated patients and lure away healthcare workers who are already in short supply and cannot be in two places at once. In their closing statements, Canadian Doctors for Medicare stressed that this shortage of anesiologists, nurses and doctors was already contributing to the public waiting list, so don't let it get worse. It isn't like the private sector is suddenly going to conjure more healthcare workers out of thin air, after all. On the contrary, the doctors who want to be able to work privately and still maintain their MSP privileges believe that people should be able to opt into private care and pay for what they want when they want it. Which again, going back through this series, we know creates some serious equity imbalances. But alas, the main doctor wanting this argues that the charter-protected right to life, liberty and personal security is violated by the private payment provisions. However, these two doctors who testified also happened to make $965,000 working privately in 2016 and 17, while the others made four times what they would be earning in the public setting. So I am skeptical about the true incentive here. Either way, an injunction was handed down by the Supreme Court judge, ruling it unlawful to block payments to doctors enrolled in MSP and also delivering private care because the clinics in question would be forced to close and stop providing services that have been available to patients for 25 years, leaving hundreds of patients without this timely care and back in the slower public health system. Now look, I kind of get this on a personal level. If I had the money and wanted to get results for a lump that wasn't urgent in the public system or just really needed a knee replacement and it was elective, it would be great to be able to pay and skip the public waitlist. I've had friends back at home do this because they are anxious and just wanted to get their surgery over with and feel better. My mum gave birth to me, my sister and my brother in public hospitals, but saw how nice her friends had it in the private system, with a private room, nicer food and a quieter environment. I do get that on a personal level, if you or a family member are suffering, but not enough to be triaged to the top of a public waitlist, you just want to end their suffering as quickly as possible. That's what makes this such a hard and complicated discussion to have. But the thing is, not everyone has this privilege. Not everyone is able to afford private care. I, for one, know that I can't right now. Not everyone wants to opt into private care. I, for one, don't even want to opt in if I could afford it. Not everyone is able to make some spending sacrifices in order to afford private care, which they may want if they had the capacity. We live in a capitalist system where wealth is hoarded in the top 1%, the middle class is shrinking, and it is increasingly more difficult for people to break out of the lower class or poverty. Class disparity, income inequality, wealth inequality, it is all very, very real. A private healthcare system does not support the masses. While it may help you as an individual or family, it does not help everyone. And even having both public and private, as we know well and truly by now, all this does is divert resources out of the public system that serves all and into the private system that supports few. It is unfair, simply put.
It's just unfair. Healthcare is complex, it is personal, and it touches everyone. And I think this is one of the most important things to keep in mind in this conversation. It is for everyone, and it should be for everyone. Everyone has equal rights to it, and people should not be excluded based on their income, race, gender, status, or anything. I truly believe it is more important to invest in public healthcare that shows better returns for the population at large and make this as best as possible. And I am concerned for the future of Canadian healthcare given this recent injunction. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and have a better understanding now of how the private and public systems differ in the delivery of patient results. If you did enjoy this episode and the healthcare series and want to support the show, please rate and review on iTunes or Podchaser. I would love to hear from you. Or head on over to patreon.com slash cavegoblins where you can support the network and get access to more weekly content. You can find me on Twitter at Talia Murdoch and follow the show at Every Economics for articles and threads based on the latest episodes. Thank you again for listening. Be kind to each other. I am Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics. Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed, competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay. Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30pm PST. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.